everyone. This is Mike Lindstedt, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project. You are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, we're back on our series entitled Biblical Answers to Modern Issues. And as usual, I'm here with Pastor Chad. Chad, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. <clears throat> we're back. Well, listeners, I hope that you've been enjoying the uh, financial stewardship excerpts that we've been posting every Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, last week was our final one, so Chad and I are going to get back in the podcast mm-hmm. booth, and we're going to start a new series. But I hope that those have been a blessing to you. I hope that those have cleared up any misconceptions that you may or may not have had mm-hmm. uh, about how God views finances and how he views stewardship. And I hope it moves you. I hope it moves you to action in um, changing how you spend your money, changing how you allocate your resources that God has entrusted to you as his child to steward over. And so today we're going to be, like I said, continuing our podcast series in the book of 1 Corinthians. And today we are coming out of a section that Paul has just finished that was concerning uh, this idea of Christian liberty. We called it operating in the gray areas. Um, that was specifically how do we address scenarios in which the Bible doesn't explicitly speak to. And we mm. talked a lot about how you know you 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 learn principles in your training manual, quote unquote. Yeah. And then you know, you gotta take those principles into the battlefield, right? right. And I used the example of Jocko Willink, the great Navy SEAL, who uh, said basically exactly what I had just said. Mm. That's where I got it from. <laughs> it, during his training in the SEALs, he learned principles that he could then apply in the war. Uh, arena and um, war throws a lot of uncertainties at you. And so you're able to take what you learn as you Christian read your scriptures and understand your scriptures and then apply them in those gray areas. Paul's coming out of that now in some ways. He's making a digression as is so typical in the book of first Corinthians where he takes the main principle and he digresses and applies those principles to other areas of life. And he's moving into a section now that will really be comprised of chapter 11 all the way through almost the end of chapter 14. And it has to do with worship in the church. That Mm -hmm. is the main heading for the next couple of chapters. Specifically today in our section, we're going to be looking at gender roles. We're going to be looking at uh, the God of order and how Mm -hmm. he has ordered uh, men and women to act in a particular way within the creation. And we're going to look at some of the specifics that were going on in the Corinthian church. You know, some of the things that have just been threads throughout the whole letter, Chad, mm-hmm. have been the Corinthians' obvious root of pride that they had yeah. that was running through the church and really causing these factions to 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 mm-hmm. to to grow or or divisions between classes, right? Yeah. We had the upper class and the lower class and and there were some 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 challenges there really to mm-hmm. to get these people to unite. And so we're gonna see that specifically today. And let me just give some cultural notes and then we'll have you, Chad, give us some preparatory comments. Then I'll read and uh, we'll go from there. So generally speaking, in the Corinthian church, in the culture that they existed, in the public sphere was predominantly a male sphere. It was a man's Mm -hmm. world, all right? Mm -hmm. Men made the decisions in the public sphere, but in the home, it's primarily a female sphere. So somewhat similar today, although a lot less similar in our culture. Women obviously have a lot more freedom in our mm-hmm. culture nowadays mm-hmm. than they did back then. Um, but that's what we have to, to understand first and foremost is in this culture that we're looking at, the Corinthian culture, men dominated the public sphere and females dominated the, the home sphere. So why is this important to the church? Well, 
we had house churches. And in the home churches, you had this intersection of these boundaries and and that created a more ambiguous social space, right? Like, is it a public sphere? Because we're all gathered together mm-hmm. in someone's home or is it a private sphere? You know, how do we operate? <clears throat> kind of reminded me when, <clears throat> when the lockdowns happened and we had all these things going on in Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you'd be in a work meeting and then your, your wife or your husband would walk by in their underwear. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. well, you're in my home, you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. kind of similar, you know, amb- ambiguities going on there. Now, as you're going to see in our text today, there's a lot of discussion about headship and covering of your head and hair and all kinds of things. And so in relation to the females in our text, women's hair was a common object of lust. So women were expected to cover their hair and to fail to do this was very provocative and was thought to provoke male lust. So it would be very similar to women wearing a bathing suit right today. Mm -hmm. Like there's some bathing suits that I'm like, you are wearing less than maybe three inches of clothing, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's other bathing suits that are like the full onesie, right? (laughs) So somewhat, again, similar to uh, the similar ideas there, but head coverings were fairly normal in this culture. You know, and they still are today, in fact, in this part of the world, you know, in the Islamic um, nations that are over in this part of the world now. But as it pertains to the Corinthian church, the upper class Roman women were very eager to show off their fashionable hairstyles. And they didn't practice covering their heads. Mm-hmm. They wanted everyone to see what their husband bought them mm-hmm. or how good they look. Reminds me of Anchorman. And he says, <laughs> everyone, come see how good I look. <laughs> That's what these Roman women were doing, right? So the conclusion then is that Paul has to address this clash of culture that's going on in these home churches between the upper-class women and the lower-class women. Uh, the lower-class women were, you know, rightly concerned about the sexual propriety being violated, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want this woman coming up into this home church when my husband's here looking like that Mm -hmm. because my husband's a man, Mm -hmm. right? And he may be a man who doesn't struggle with that, but but then again, he may be a man who does struggle with that. And the church is not supposed to be a place where we're tempting one another, right? Right. And how how this relates to the previous section... Was again, it's like the head coverings were wasn't legal. You didn't. It's not like you were going to be thrown in prison if you didn't cover your hair. It was a yeah. social thing, right? Yeah. So you had this quote unquote liberty in Christ, meaning you knew that covering your head wasn't like breaking the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. if you didn't cover it. But as we're going to see today, there were deeper theological principles at stake here that could very well lead to sin. Mm-hmm. And so that is the cultural background. That is what we have to know before we get into this section because mm-hmm. First Corinthians is a difficult book because yeah. there's so much culture that we just are so far removed from. Yeah. I think um, this epistle particularly reminds us of how important it is to have proper biblical hermeneutics because in order to understand the authorial intent understand like what's trying to what's actually being said here yeah. and the principles to draw you have to understand the context the culture who it's being spoken to why it's being spoken to them or you can completely miss the point of this if you read this section of first corinthians on the surface without any of that work or any of that study you could completely miss the point of it yeah. um and you could take it out of context you can become very legalistic with some of these things that is not the intention of this and mm-hmm. not really applicable to us and miss the principles that are underneath it yeah and what we're seeing here is paul he's really doing what we're tasked to do as christians in our own cultures he's addressing the culture mm-hmm. with the underlying 
doctrines of scripture and how that should play out in that particular space, mm -hmm. which is the same thing that we should do as well with our own culture, which we'll talk about today. How, how do these biblical principles that are underpinning what Paul's calling out the people in this culture to be doing, how does that universal principle come, come across and now apply to us in our current culture, in our current mm -hmm. day and age? Yeah. And so we have to read this with that culture in mind. Yeah. There's a couple of doctrines that are stated within this text. Number one, God's holiness, his set-apartness, yeah. his uh, nature as far as it <clears throat> pertains to being a God of mm -hmm. order, a God of um, authority, mm -hmm. um, and then also complementarianism. Mm -hmm. So men and women are complementary in their roles. They're equal in their value before mm -hmm. God. Um, and so that would be different than egalitarianism. Mm -hmm. Which is, it's equal in both. Right. So Paul is a complementarian. Mm -hmm. um, he is not an egalitarian. And so that's important to know as well. Because the scriptures are complementarian. <laughs> Which brings me to the other thing that's seen here is God's created order as mm -hmm. well. Um, Genesis chapters 1 and 2 are being played out right here in this. Uh, it's what's being called out, like the purpose of why God created male and female and how he created them and how that reflects his own Godhead, the Trinity. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... That's all being played out in this section. All right, well, why don't I just go ahead and read uh, the first, let's say, seven verses, Chad, and you pick up on verse uh, 11 and take us to the end of the chapter. Okay, so we're going to start 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 2, says this, Now I commend you, because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of a man, nor a man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Okay, so that is this section, and as I'm sure, listener, you may uh, be thinking, man, that would be hard to understand if we didn't understand the culture that it was within. <laughs> right. Because it's so far removed from our culture. But with the grace of God and the teaching of the Holy Spirit, I think we'll be able to make a crack at it here, Chad. Mm -hmm. So um, first of all, Paul is using a bit of a word play with the word head here in the first six verses. He literally re refers to one's physical head in verses four through six, but beginning, he starts with the symbol of authority, which mm -hmm. is in verse 3. 
And uh, that's what we're going to start with. He says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of, every, of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. This would be known as the doctrine of headship. Yeah. And that is literally just referring to who is in authority over who, mm-hmm. right? Um, this is not this is not even beginning to discuss equality because obviously Christ and God, they're the same. They're mm-hmm. equal, right? Mm-hmm. But Christ himself says he submits to the will of Father so that he can express mm-hmm. the Father to the world. He said to Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Right. And so Christ had to submit to the Father in order to express the Father. Right. So, so let that be known at the outset. We're not talking about equality. We're talking about um, complementarianism. And mm-hmm. this headship idea refers to who is in authority over who. So remember that in a culture, a woman was expected to cover her head so that she would not be sexually provocative. So this head covering would symbolize that this woman belongs to a man. There's a man at home, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's her husband, but regardless, there's a man who has authority over her, okay? Mm-hmm. It would be similar to like a wedding ring. If I go out in public without my wife and I have my wedding ring on, that lets every single person know that I belong to my wife. Mm-hmm. So similar, but not one-to-one comparison. Right. Well, here we see that, that hair uh, symbolized and like you've already said, with that culture, within Jewish culture even, Numbers 15 talks about how uh, loosening a woman's hair is part of a test for an unfaithful wife. And mm. so that had a lot of context within this culture of someone who's being provocative, someone who's out there being unfaithful. If you're taking off the covering, which symbolizes authority, it's it's showing that, or you're trying to pretend that maybe in certain contexts you don't have a husband or that he doesn't have authority over you right. or something of that nature. Similar comparison could be a, a wife going, taking her wedding ring off, going out with her friends, dressed provocatively at a bar, dancing with some other guys, like with no symbol that she has a husband, you know, that, yeah. in that sort of way. Yeah, it's, it's kind of viewed as rebellious. Yeah, absolutely. Or that there's something wrong, like, and maybe there was legitimate things wrong there. Maybe there yeah. was some women who were being unfaithful to their husbands, right. right? It's not just a symbol, but a lot of times that was the way of attraction in in this culture. It seems silly to us to think of just the head being uncovered, being provocative to to, mm. to men, but in a culture where what women were fully covered all the way down to their feet, you know, um, mm-hmm. if their head was uncovered and their hair was all dressed up nice, it would be provocative. Yeah. Obviously, we don't live in that type of culture, so that's why we have to understand what this culture is to make that same principle. Yeah. So what would be the significance of someone not using a head covering or using a head covering? Because that's what Paul gets into now in mm-hmm. verses four through six. He says, but, er- but every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. And then he goes on to talk about her cutting her hair short or not cutting her hair short. But this is the key to understanding verses four through six. And it's stated in verses seven mm-hmm. and following. Verse seven says, for a man ought not to cover his head since or because he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Right, this points back to the creation story. Yes, this points back even just to verse three, mm-hmm. right? How the head of every man is Christ, mm-hmm. right? So if one is um, praying or prophesying, as Paul says, prophesying would be speaking the word of God, 
Um, if one is doing that in this culture and has their head covered, if a man is doing that and has their head covered, they are saying that God, mm-hmm. who they represent, is underneath somebody. Right. That's that's the that's the contextual mm-hmm. connection there. Mm-hmm. That's basically what Paul's saying is because man is the image and the glory of God, he should not cover his head mm-hmm. because God is not in submission to anyone. Mm-hmm. And so by having this this article of clothing on and what it means to the culture, that's what it would represent is mm-hmm. God is in submission to somebody. That's the that's the seriousness with which Paul is addressing this problem here. Right. That's why I said earlier in this podcast that yeah, there's it's not a law, mm-hmm. but you understand what it's meaning, right? But it's attached to worship, right? Yes. And that's what that's the big issue with it. That's where the sin lies. Yes. It's not being reverent. It's not respecting the created order by which God has created everything. You go back to the creation story when God makes man in his image, then male and female, he creates them in his image. Mm-hmm. You go to the creation story, God creates Adam first in his image to be the leader, to be the <clears throat> the shepherd, the priest of the of the land, of the mm-hmm. garden. Yep. And then he creates a helper fit for him. And he creates Eve from the flesh of Adam. That's why, that's why we see that woman was created for man and man was created in the image of God. Woman's also in the image of God, but she particularly was created to be a helper fit for, for man. Yeah. And that's why you see that authority. The man serves and submits to the word and of God and to Christ and his role in the in responsibility is to lead and shepherd and guide his wife in the word. Yeah. But both as far as value and importance are equal before the Lord, just different in role and responsibility in the same way that that reflects the Trinity. As you said already, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they're all equally God, all part of the same Godhead, but have different roles. And the Son submits to the Father, the Holy Spirit submits to both the Son and the Father, and Mm -hmm. it all works together. And so when we don't, live out the order by which God creates it, it's disobeying and dishonoring a holy God. Yeah, It's saying that his way of design was not right. Mm-hmm. It's saying that we know better than God knows. And it's saying that ultimately you're saying that he's not God of your life. Mm. That's, that's the seriousness. Mm-hmm. And if you say that, if you say I'm not going to obey those things, it may mean you're not even a believer at all, right? The, Jesus says... Those who love me obey my commands. Yeah. Right. God says, "Have no other gods before me." And when you when we submit to a holy God and when we trust Him as Lord, we fully submit mm-hmm. to Him as God, His created order, who He is. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's the principle that's underpinning all of this. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I just want to bring a couple of scriptures up um, as it pertains to <clears throat> this idea of dishonoring your head, i.e., dishonoring the one who's in authority over you. Uh, I'll read it again, but verse five says, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, dishonors her husband, Mm -hmm. right? And that is actually in direct violation of the scriptures. So we are actually sinning now. So we go to Titus chapter two, I'll read from uh, verses three through five. It says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, 
Okay, so there's number one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you follow the logical progression of if the wife dishonors her head, she's dishonoring the one who represents God in the home, i.e. you can work it all the way up the chain to God, right? Mm -hmm. Then it goes on, um, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, kind, and here it is, submissive to their husbands so that the word of God may not be reviled. So there in Titus, we have mm -hmm. a pretty explicit reason as to why the wife should be out of love for God and uh, respect for her husband, submissive to her husband, who, as Paul said, is the very image and glory of God, mm -hmm. especially in the home, right? Another scripture I'll bring up is 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. So now even Peter, although not present in the Corinthian church, is speaking to this whole idea that the upper mm -hmm. upper class Roman women were trying to do, trying to show it off, right? <sighs> yeah. So Peter says, don't even be worried about that. Mm -hmm. Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart mm -hmm. with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Mm -hmm. So even Peter has much to say about this idea of how a woman <clears throat> carries herself in the church Mm -hmm. And one thing that he said that I'm going to bring up here in a second, Chad, as we were talking about the strange verse, verse 10 in here, okay, verse 10 in our section, here's what it says. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Like, <laughs> are we talking about supernatural angels? Are we talking about human messengers? Because the word angelos means messengers, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can go both ways with this translation, um, Chad, I'll let you talk about the supernatural, you yeah. know, uh, interpretation and I'll talk about the natural, but I'm going to bring up something that Peter said, and I'll start with the natural interpretation right here. It kind of plays into mm -hmm. that. He says, uh, starting in verse one of chapter three, uh, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So as it pertains to the translation of this word angelos, angels, in our text today, if this was a natural messenger, which is what the word angelos means, i.e. if this was a person that was visiting the church, or mm -hmm. if it just so happened to be an unconverted husband that's coming with her wife to the church gathering, mm -hmm. and she views, or he views her, his wife acting in a way that honors God, mm -hmm. that could have an effect. On him, who knows? That might even lead him to Christ because he's coming into the church gathering. He's observing what happens here. Mm -hmm. He's gonna have some sort of opinions developed about that. Yeah. He sees his wife faithfully exercising her faith mm -hmm. in public. Mm -hmm. That's gonna affect the, the husband who in this sense could be a messenger, right? right? In this sense, I'm stretching the word here a little bit, but I think it applies. Yeah. I don't think it's doing damage to scripture. There could be another, you know, usage of this word if you have a visiting pastor, which is some sometimes the word angel is used for pastor, like in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. If you have uh, visiting church members, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I think the point is, as it pertains to this context, if you have a saved wife who is faithful in exercising her faith um, in obedience to God, and an unsaved husband 
we could have an effect here. Mm-hmm. So that's my shot at verse 10. Yeah, Chad, yeah. why don't you give us yours? Well, if we take angels in the supernatural sense, which we see in other, other uh, epistles like Hebrews, um, then Hebrews makes it clear at different points that, that angels are over overseeing and, and protecting the church in some ways. It even says in Hebrews 13 to be kind to all strangers because you could be entertaining an angel. Mm-hmm. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Paul's talking about actual supernatural angels. Yeah. And <clears throat> that would also make sense in terms of Hebrews also makes it clear that we would one day even uh, judge the angels that were created above the angels. And the angels were at the point of creation and they're fully, they were created to fully devote and worship a holy God. And you made this point, <clears throat> Mike, earlier that <clears throat> I forget what scripture says, but that, <clears throat> that they long to see the grace that we yeah, see. Yeah, first Peter. And so to a created being that's fully devoted to God, that's seen our creation, that's over watching us, that God has displayed his grace in a more special way to us than he has to them. They would be offended mm. when we would not submit to holy God. Yeah, and Paul said at the end of chapter 10, he says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, and I'll add to the angels, right? Yeah, right. If we're going to go with that interpretation, which yeah. again, I think it's a fine interpretation. You know what just right. popped into my head, Chad, mm-hmm. was uh, Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, where the angels saw the women on earth and came down and cohabitated, and they made the men of renown. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's also some some funky stuff in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's in Genesis chapter 6. Mm-hmm. So maybe Paul is, is it has that in his mind even, where right. if a woman has the symbol of authority on her head, mm-hmm. then the angel, who may be a uh, mischievous and evil, wicked angel, right? As we've seen, they are called demons. Right. Then at least they're going to know she's got authority over, over her. Yeah. So you can take... But all those still point back to the main point of this, yes, which is worshiping God, respecting His created order and authority in the way that He's designed it, and that we sh- that men should be submissive to the Lord and shepherds of their home and leaders of their home and should care for their wives and care for their family and uh, teach the Word of God, and the wives should be submissive. To their husbands. We mm. see this in Ephesians 5. We see this in Colossians 3. There's so many different passages that continue to show us what was created in the beginning in Genesis 1 uh, and chapter 2. That's good. Well, let's move on then. I think we did, uh, we, we took care of that. Uh, we'll leave it up to the reader to do their own study, but we yeah. provided three, op- three options there. That's right. Um, so <laughs> going to verse 13 then, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Uh, that is an obvious no. Like, m- remember, listener, if a woman has her head uncovered, that is a sign of rebellion. That mm-hmm. is a sign of potential, in the eyes of the culture, potentially provoking a man to sexual lust, right? Okay. So so it's a rhetorical question, right? Judge for yourselves, right? Isn't it obvious, right? That's basically what Paul's yeah. saying here. Mm-hmm. Verse 14, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, is it her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. For if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So we'll back up and go look at verse 14 through 15 there. He's just using an argument from the idea of basic human awareness of nature, right? Testosterone in men speeds up hair loss. Okay? Yeah. Estrogen in women keeps the hair, 
I mean, mm-hmm. this is basic um, biology, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I'm going to keep myself from going off on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, this is basic biology, okay? Yeah, yeah. But if a woman has long hair, it's for her glory, right? The woman's hair is a symbol of beauty, softness, tenderness. You know, right. It's part of her gorgeous aura, right, that she has. And it also is a symbol of modesty in some ways mm-hmm. of where you're saying with nature, long hair covering the yeah, breast, covering, the, covering body. the body a little bit. Like, yep. Um. So... I think that's what Paul is pointing to here. Yeah, he doesn't have to do a lot of work here because it's a it's an obvious, it's a rhetorical mm-hmm. question, right? Mm-hmm. He just puts a couple of points to support it. And then the final verse, but if anyone is inclined to be contentious, if you have a problem with this, just know the churches of God don't operate in this way. Mm-hmm. That's basically what he's saying. True churches don't operate this way. Yeah. Period. Because <laughs> of who God is. Right, because we come back to the main point of it. If you're truly trying to submit to the Lord then you're going to operate in the proper order, which is male headship and and the wife submitting to her husband. She's going to do that out of reverence to the Lord herself. Mm -hmm. And so she's going to choose to put on the head covering to honor her husband and to not be provocative and not to even give um, any sort of sign that she'd be even interested in Mm -hmm. dishonoring her husband and and being with another man, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, It just would be so far from from her. Mm -hmm. It's not about towing the line it's not about what's okay not it's not about like well is it technically sin if i right it's the heart of someone who truly worships god is i just want to worship god i don't even want to get close to the yeah. line yeah right? absolutely well we thank y'all for listening to this episode i know it's been a uh a, a, a beefy one yes <laughs> first corinthians is a difficult book to walk through like we said because there's so much cultural background that you have to get or else you just have no clue of mm. what is being said um, and so we want to encourage you in your own personal Bible study, uh, some good websites. I'll just mention them. Biblehub.com is a phenomenal website. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many other ones. Preceptaustin.org mm-hmm. is a phenomenal one. But we want to encourage you to do your own Bible study, to understand that um, it's like mining for mm-hmm. gold. Yeah. It's energy intensive. It takes a lot of energy to extract the meaning of the text that it has. There's one meaning to the text. Yeah. You know, God says stuff and he has one meaning for what he says. Mm-hmm. There's multiple applications, implications, and it has various significance to your life, but there's one meaning. And to find that meaning, it takes a lot of time, effort, and energy, and it's going to take some tools. So those yeah. two websites are good for you. But Chad, any uh, final comments before we sign off today? No, I would, um, I would just encourage the listener to remember this is God's word. I know reading something like this may even well up... Um, offenses in your heart like but be careful this is god's word it was written for a purpose it has a meaning and if god designed it that way it's best Mm -hmm. right so don't lean on your own understanding yeah and um if we've been operating in a spirit of rebellion Mm -hmm. just know that christ has died to save sinners Mm -hmm. that we can repent at any moment Mm -hmm. the holy spirit does his work when he wills but if you feel as if, man, I, I need to repent of maybe some of the things that Chad just mentioned or just a general rebellious spirit, just know the door has been opened. The, the veil has been torn. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.